Ten King. <laughs> yeah. Do you know the True Jordan? You're, <laughs> You're gonna decide that, are you? What the fuck is wrong with it? <laughs> you know how they play. Welcome back to the True Geordie podcast. Today's guest is one of my favorite new content creators. Uh, discovered Billy Carson um, recently after going down a rabbit hole. Um, Billy, thanks for coming on. Thank you, man. I'm glad to be here and thanks for inviting me. I really appreciate it. It's very rare that I get hooked on someone's content these days. I'm a, I feel like I'm all contented out. But um, we recently had David Icke on, and it is funny how certain people's sort of opinions overlap. And David was talking about how the angels that we've been told about from being kids in, in school were, were actually aliens. And, um, mm-hmm. and getting into your content and seeing how far down the rabbit hole you've gone and how intelligent and well-researched you are, it really brought it to life, and um, I'm just looking forward to my audience reacting to what you've got to say, mate. Um, so, so kind of, if you could start off by giving us a little bit about you and and the research you've been doing and and where you're at right now. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, obviously, my name is Billy Carson. I'm the founder of Four Bitted Knowledge with the number four. It's not a gang sign, by the way. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you got to say that these days. Everybody, I got so many messages about the, is that, are you a Mason? No, it's Four Bitted Knowledge. But anyway, I was born in New York, uh, 1971. Uh, we came down to Miami, Florida to live. I was outside in my backyard one day, just playing around, flipping around in the grass, looking up at the sky, watching airplanes go over from the private airport. And this object comes across, but it wasn't what I knew to be a plane. Even at the age of seven, I knew it didn't have a fuselage, a tail, a cockpit and wings. Those are kind of the main you know, things you need for an airplane. And this thing cleared the horizon in my backyard. It went across in seconds, not minutes. A normal plane would just kind of go across, looking from our perspective on the ground, kind of slow. Mm -hmm. And even I knew as a kid, it went too fast. And I was like, whoa, what did I see? Then it came back and then it just stopped. Only now I can estimate about 200 meters above my head, completely silent, almost a complete egg shape, but slightly less than an egg oval, glowing metal. And it went the way it came in. I mean, just blink, it's gone. And I ran in the house. I told my mom, you know, she was just telling me, yeah, she said advanced beings existed in the ancient past. And she started telling me about Matthew Petrie. She said they used to live on tops of mountains. This is in the 70s. Wow. My mom told me this. And she didn't discourage me about the information whatsoever, but nobody else really, really wanted to talk about it. But the next day I went to my school, uh, Rainbow Park Elementary, and I started researching from the Encyclopedia Britannica that day, uh, all the aerospace information, swept wing, delta wing. Uh, you know, I look for ballistics, intercontinental ballistics. I mean, I went to everything, experimental planes. You know, they were even talking about back then in the 70s, the potential for the shuttle program back then. So I started digging into aerospace. I became kind of a quasi aerospace historian. And that rabbit hole of looking into all these declassified types of aircraft just took me down a million rabbit holes over the years, which got me into studying, uh, you know, advanced technologies. Uh, of course, black budgeted technologies, which then took me into uh, ancient civilizations, because in my opinion, some type of tech created those ancient sites, which led me down so many more rabbit holes into ancient tablets and scriptures, papyrus, cylinder scrolls. I've now traveled the world over 30 times. I've been to a lot of ancient sites and places and met with indigenous wisdom keepers all around the world. 
gone through over a thousand books, papyruses, scriptures, cylinder scrolls and ancient texts from everywhere you could think of. Uh, spent countless hours out in the desert, walk walkabouts in the in the outback with aboriginals. I've done it all. And so I've been able to come up with a lot of my hypothesis and conclusion based on a lot of firsthand research and a lot of scholarly research as well that have happened over many decades. I, I kind of want to start us off on what I've been reading and watching a lot of what you've been saying on about the aliens, the Anunnaki and 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 how much evidence there is in ancient history that mm. really seems to have been not really talked about to like i've been in i've been in history class and i've never heard never heard anything about it and i'm listening to you being like how old is this stuff yeah. so so maybe we can go down that avenue to start off with and i think this interview can be a very kind of basic compared to how far you go because i do want to touch on a lot of things uh, that i've heard mm-hmm. you talk about in in a bit of detail and then maybe part two can come and we can really go into it but um in terms of the information you've come across the tablets and the scrolls and scriptures how old is that like do you know how old it is yeah well the tablets and scriptures and papyrus, well the oldest text we know of is around forty thousand years old max Okay, that's the mm-hmm. oldest text. We're talking about the Emerald Tablets of Thoth. It's between thirty six to forty thousand years old, and that might even be a copy from a much older tablet. Mm-hmm. But we do have an account of these beings that goes far beyond that. When you look at the Enuma Elish and the Seven Tablets of Creation, we discover that epic has been copied over and over again. And the oldest version is approximately six thousand five hundred years old. And we know that they're talking about something that happened prior to that writing approximately 450,000 years ago. So we're talking about deep, deep, deep antiquity, knowledge of super ancient information, super antiquity, so far back that we can't even really grasp that human beings could be advanced and that there could be beings visiting and so forth and so on, all this going on that far back. And you mentioned Thoth, and I, and I hear you uh, referencing, I, I assume it's a him uh, a lot. Can mm-hmm. you tell me a bit about him and, and what sort of things he wrote down? Yes. He's one of these ancient beings that uh, I primarily wrote my book about. He wrote the Emerald Tablets of Thoth, and those tablets are, like I said, 36 to 40,000 years old. Uh, what's interesting about this being is he didn't claim to be a god. He never masqueraded as a god like the majority of his uh, relatives, if you want to call them that, right? His consorts or his peers. They were These were advanced beings that had faces like you and I. Their body structure slightly different, a little bit larger, a little bit different, but we, they were recognizable as a person that you can talk to and they can speak back. And he became known as the first intelligencer He traveled around this entire planet, bringing knowledge, wisdom, civilization all around the planet, more specifically in the land of Chem or Kemet, where he developed alchemy and chemistry comes out of the land of Chem, which is pre-dynastic Egypt. And this guy literally uh, is responsible, according to him, for the building of the Great Pyramid. He said, build it out of the Great Pyramid so that it too might last, uh, you know, remain through the ages. So this guy is a real sophisticated architect. He's got the blueprints and he tells his team to go around the planet and duplicate what they rebuilt in Kemet after the Great Flood. But he said that they were going to bring civilization back up to a high level, which means it had already been at a high level prior to the flood, which the Sumerian Tabas, the King's List, documents this, which is located in the Ashmolean Museum in Oxford, England. So this guy is a wisdom keeper. Super smart, super smart being who claims to have even conquered death through knowing how to create avatar bodies and transfer his consciousness from body to body. He said so he can walk amongst men, but unlike a man. Wow. Okay. So, 
you're a smart dude, bro. I'm going to try and keep up with you. So when you talk about, um, you know, he didn't claim to be a, a, a god, for example. Yeah. Um, and it, it kind of, I think you described this in one of your interviews I watched where you said, like, if you think about it, if we went back in time now from the version of us that we are now, even a couple of thousand years ago, and we mm -hmm. have phones and knowledge and a lot of the things that they didn't have back then, they yeah. we could pose as gods if we wanted to. So, so when you say he chose not to, he wasn't really a, a quote unquote god. He, but he wasn't of no. of the same origins as human. He was something else. Yes, he was something else. These people came from other planets, mm. and record of this can be discovered all over the world. You have the Dogon tribe, the original inhabitants of the land of Kemet, before they got overthrown and moved out to Mali, Africa. But the Dogon tribe, they talk about the Nomo coming from the star system Sirius. Right. Sirius B, which is a, a star that ran out of fuel. These beings created a breakaway civilization here on Earth. You have the Zulu tribe. Same exact story. Then you have the indigenous people of the Americas, the red man. Right. He's talking about the same thing. Our star brothers, they seated us on this planet. They seated us. They according to the according to them, the indigenous Native Americans, they were seated here by Pleiadians. Mm -hmm. Then what's crazy is you I go to Australia. I'm out in the outback with the aboriginals. They have the same exact story. We're the first people on this planet, they say, and their verbal handed down history for thousands of years is that they were seated on this planet by Pleiadians. And there's Pleiadian hieroglyphs in the outback at Karyong 9, which nobody on the planet has been able to decipher yet. And they date back 5,000 years because of the patina inside of the glyphs that's been dated back to 5,000 years verified. So we know that there's this story going on, no matter what culture you go to around the world, you can go to the Urals of, you know, Russia and Europe, and you go to Bosnia and the Bosnian pyramid uh, area. The stories just uh, are the same uh, exact stories. Beings from somewhere else came here. According to the ancient Egyptians, they say they, the, the Nituru came here. They call them the Nituru and it's Thoth. They depict them on the Edfu temple, Thoth, Isis, Horus, Osiris, and those beings, they claim, came at the time of Zeptepi. That's the beginning times. And they said they, they turned mud into a kingdom. And of course, the Sumerians have the same exact story in the Sumerian tablets, in the Adrahasis epic, in the Enuma Elish, and so many more. You can read the Mahabharata, the Bhagavad Gita. All these texts are telling you the same story. People from somewhere else, and I do mean people, not little green men with little antenna, People that we can identify as a person that we can speak to back and forth and learn from, uh, they engaged us in uh, in some way, shape, or form, uh, and they came to this planet and created a breakaway civilization. And why? My 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 research tells me that there was a war that happened in the Pleiades, and I'm covering this in my new TV series, Anunnaki History, which is coming out next year. And so, this war created a situation where a weapon was used called the Brahma Honda weapon, which had to power to destroy any man on three worlds. It was blowing up planets. It was blowing up moons. Imagine if Mars blew up right now. On Earth, we'd be really scared because of debris that can come and create a cataclysmic event. People became space refugees. And my, this is my personal hypothesis now. Now I'm going to my hypothesis mode that they left those areas and those regions and went to new sectors to create breakaway civilizations, kind of a fresh start. And Earth was one of them. And I've seen you kind of um, looking at uh, satellite images from other planets where you look at, in detail, unusual structures, for example. But have you, I mean, I've heard from David Icke him saying the word Nibiru was a possible planet they came from. Do you have an idea of where these people came from? Yeah, so that's a good question. Nibiru 
and Anunnaki are two terms that people say don't exist, but they're mentioned in the Enuma Elish. So we know those terms and those words are real words, but some of them came from Sirius star system. Some came from the Pleiades. Some came from Aldebaran. Some came from the Epsilon Boetis constellation. So there was a varying different array of planets that these people all came from. When they spread out from the Pleiades, they literally populated many stars. They actually actually have the power to travel from star to star, something that we're supposed to be able to do now, but with all the suppression and oppression, we haven't been able to get there. Mm. But so we're talking about a multiracial, multiplanetary species that created an Atlantean civilization. That's the name. They are, they are all Anunnaki because that means from those from heaven came to earth, but they created an, an Atlantean civilization on earth and earth was Atlantis, not the, just a ring city in the Atlantic ocean. Yeah. That was just one capital of dozens that existed, but the entire planet itself was Atlantis. And I believe Atlantis was even in this solar system, an interplanetary civilization as well. Yeah. So when people say, where did Atlantis go? We're, we're on it, essentially. We're on it. We're all standing <laughs> and sitting on it right now. <laughs> and, uh, and, and how advanced, uh, you know, let's, if we were to put a time frame on it, how, how, how more, much more advanced technologically were they than us right now? Well, if you were to look at where we are right now as a species, they were approximately one million years ahead of us, which is a big number. Wow. And yeah. the reason why I calculate this and how I come up with this, this is a hypothesis. This is not stated in any record. But when you look at the fact that we're talking about approximately 450,000 years ago, they arrived initially, the first pantheon. The pantheon doesn't come out of Greece, and the pantheon was a Sumerian pantheon. And that first pantheon arrived, uh, you're talking about 450,000. Now, they worked and labored themselves for 250,000 years without interacting or engaging the existing hominid on the planet, which was actually our cousins before we were Homo sapiens sapiens. They didn't engage in genetic manipulation until about 200,000 years ago, which geneticists can align with that. Their statements in their peer-reviewed documents can align that chromosome number two was taken out and fused together and telomere caps were put on them approximately 200,000 years ago. And geneticists and universities are saying that was an artificial mutation. Well, the Sumerian records are telling us exactly how it happened. These people did it to us to create Homo sapiens sapiens and make us into the workers so they can stop working. It was a big war that was going to happen. There was a coup that was going to happen in the Atra Hasis. And I said, no, we'll get these beings to do the work for us. And that's when the genetic manipulation happened. But so 450,000 years, they've already can travel from star to star to star. That means they had been super advanced for a very, very long time. The technology that they had back then at 200,000, 450,000 years ago, we aren't even close to cracking that code. Mm. We still have no clue. We only have 10,000 hypotheses about how the pyramid was built. We still flying around in, uh, you know, in planes that are using fossil fuel. We got cars on fossil fuel trying to go to hydrogen now because EVs are, are no good. But we're not even close. We're not even in, in the vicinity. They had mastered the ability to combine spirituality with technology. So they took spiritual essence, which is the power of conscious thought, and they were able to now mix that with technology giving them an unbelievable array of different types of quote unquote powers mm. that to us were godlike. Uh, and so we're not even close to that level. So just to break it down into layman's terms for people who've been, you know, we've all heard Darwin's theory of evolution at school, for example, 
How how would you say the real story goes as opposed to that? Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to Darwin, which Darwin actually admitted himself that he didn't fully believe in his own theory before he died. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a fact, <laughs> but they never say that little extra part at the end yeah. in college. Right. But the, what we're talking about here is an advanced race of beings that came to this planet at the time where mankind of a, ver- a different version of us still looked the same, probably bigger bones, bigger jaws. We found much bigger skulls around this entire planet. So we know that we were, we looked different, probably much smarter spiritually and, and, um, and consciously. Um, but nonetheless, we were here. Uh, and then at some point, this war was going to happen in South Africa at a place called Adam's calendar. And an agreement was made to add their essence to the existing being here, which was our cousin. So they genetically modified us. And then from there, we became the worker. So they tried at first this cloning technique, which I took people to see the evidence of this cloning at the Kamambo and the Karnak Temple. So they can see evidence in the walls of hieroglyphs, the cloning technique, uh, Temple of Hathor, where they had the birthing houses for the clones. The problem that they had with the cloning techniques was, according to the text, these beings couldn't replicate on their own. It was too much labor again just to try to create a population of workers. So ISIS says, you know what? I've had it. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to take the baby to turn myself. And so she takes an egg from an existing hominid. She uh, adds their essence to that egg. She puts it in her own womb. Now we're talking about now scientifically something called a zygote, or we're talking about in vitro fertilization back then. She takes the baby to term for 10 months. And there's a famous cylinder scroll in a British museum with her holding up the baby. She calls it the Adama, which means first man. And she's saying, my hands have created it. That was the first genetically modified version of perfection for a self-replicating human being. Homo sapiens sapien was now born. And then this is where you get in the Bible, Genesis, the generations of Isis, Genesis. Right. Ah. And so, they, yeah, that's where it comes from. Yeah. And, and so Adamu she tried to make Adam, As in Adam and Eve, right? Yes, Adam and Eve, right, yeah. so exactly. Now, when Adam was born, there were already hundreds of thousands of people on the planet, maybe even more than that. And so he wasn't the first man. You can't get 8 billion people from two people. And if anybody doesn't believe that, just start mating your son and daughter with each other and see how many generations <laughs> you can get out of that before a one-eyed, crippled person comes out, right? Yeah. So you have to be like, okay, wait a minute, not enough genetic diversity. Two people can't create 8 billion so he, they started mating him with these clones. The clones still couldn't get pregnant. So then they said, okay, we've got to take a sample. So they took a sample of DNA from him, created Eve, mated them. Bingo, it worked. Adam and Eve weren't the first ones. So they said, now we've got to make a whole, a whole slew of these people. So they started doing that, making these, uh, you know, in the Hathor birthing houses, they started giving birth to Adamus and Eves. And then now they've grown them up and now they're mating them together. They're creating genetic diversity. And they're creating a population of people that can replicate on their own. The evidence of this is when Cain kills Abel, he, he, uh, God comes back. It's actually Yahweh, which is actually Enlil from the Sumerian tablets. And he says, what's going on here? Now, you, you're God. You surely know what's going on here. Mm-hmm. But he obviously kills his brother out of, out of jealousy. He kicks him out of the garden. And Cain says, the people out there will kill me. Well, what people? There shouldn't be anybody out there. And then God says, don't worry, I put a mark on your head so they'll know I'm going to brand you so they'll know you, my boy. Nobody's going to touch you, so don't worry about it. And when you get out there, by the way, the Bible says you'll find a wife. 
See, so there was people, many, 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 many people living outside. And he goes off to start the whole Canaanites. But uh, there's many people living before Adam Eve, but still the, the religion still pushed to came out of two out of two people comes the entire population, which is fake news. <laughs> so so these people who were here before, who are basically relatives to what we are now, um, who created them, I guess? And, and how did they get here? Are, are they just animals? And that's a great question. <laughs> You see, these people mentioned several times in the tablets that what they had done here, they knew was wrong. They were operating like, you know, the old wild, wild west, that they were doing things that were, according to them, I uh, forget the exact terminology, but they were saying that their laws from where they had come from, like they were violating those laws. They said they will have to answer to the creator of all. And they say this a couple times in some of these tablets. So that means from their perspective, there is somebody that created all. And they're aware of this. So even though they masqueraded as gods and pretended to be God and, you know, Satan, the Lord of Eden, that's actually Enlil, who becomes Yahweh in the modern day Bible. Uh, these people acted as gods and, and pretended to be gods and made the people worship them and bring them all their, the offerings were so they can have food to eat. These people mm. aren't going to go hunting anywhere. Bring me your vegetables and fruits and bring me that damn lamb because I'm hungry. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so uh, this is why there are storehouses for all the offerings at all these ancient temples that I go visit because they would actually dump all that food in there. And then these people would get, you know, the, the, the priests would cook the food for these these fake gods. But, so so was, that's what's going on. That's what happened. The more I've looked into it, the more it seems a bit more likely than, you know, water into wine and some of the other stories in the Bible. Um, yeah. And um, in terms of the powers that we've had, it, it, you know, we've got this version of human and the previous version of human. Do you think we've ever had been more powerful, almost to a, like a supernatural level of, of ability? Oh, I, I really do believe that. I believe that. We're the, I don't want to, yeah, I don't like to use the word dumbed down, but we're the, the version that's got to find itself. In other words, it's, it, it's still in us, but we've got to now tap back into what we already had in mm. ancient times. I believe that our cousins were tapped in deeper spiritually, probably could communicate with telepathy, right? Probably had a lot more psychic abilities, deeper emp empathic abilities. Also, and right now, human beings, homo sapiens, we have billions of magnetite crystals in our brains and we don't even sense that they're there but they took a, they took a human being put him in a room with a giant bar magnet put sensors on his head connected it to a computer and when they move the bar magnet the crystals reorient to the magnet's magnetic field so we should still hypothetically should still be able to navigate by the earth's magnetic field like turtles and birds and everything else but we we've lost we've been so disconnected from that, uh, you know, from that uh, natural ability that we think is something special when yeah. somebody has these innate abilities. We think, oh, man, they're special. They they got gifts. No, we're all we all have gifts. We just forgot how to open our packages. And, uh, you know, all of the stuff that they had, we're supposed to be able to tap into as well. We have now junk DNA, which is not junk. Scientists are just now finding out that that really acts on the body and acts on it activates and turns off and on genes. So now they're trying to figure out, well, what genes does it turn off and turn on and how do we get that back activated again? So we kind of really been disconnected from who we truly are. Uh, we have the power in us because it's talked about in the myth of Adapa, which is an ancient tablet that we were created even greater than the Anunnaki themselves, but that we would have to go on a, a hero's journey of self-discovery to get back to it. So how has this memory reset taken place? Like, how have we forgotten so much of this? Great question. When you begin to oppress and suppress people's 
knowledge and their and their history, it robs the future generation of the information. So the best thing, the, the best way to steal the knowledge of who somebody really is, is to continuously change your information. You look at the Tower of Babel incident where Yahweh comes back, who's actually Enlil, and he sees that human beings are building this tower into heaven, duplicating a tower that's called a Duran Key that the Anunnaki had built. They duplicated it. And he goes, oh, my goodness, whatever they can, whatever they set their hearts to, they can achieve it. He said, wow, this is too powerful. My seed shall not abide in man forever. His year shall be 120. So the first thing he did was he genetically modified chromosome number two and knocked this down to 120 year max. What does Harvard scientists say? The maximum lifespan of a human being? 120 years under pristine conditions. The next thing he did was he's divided people and separated and confused our languages. Now, I don't know. I can't talk to Jesus. Jesus can't talk to Wang Di. Wang Di can't talk. You know what I'm saying? So now all of a sudden we got all these different races and languages going on and we can't really communicate. So we can't collaborate. Our lifespans are short. But by the time we wake up, it's time to die. And we go right back into the cycle and start all over again. So they found a way to do that. And then keep covering up the ancient history, keep covering up the real truth about who we are, and where we came from. And after generation after generation, it becomes a, a, a civilization of just people walking around with amnesia, right? Like Graham Hancock says. Yeah, and, and Graham Hancock particularly points to the great cataclysms as part of the reason as well of this reset that happened where we're all sort of one minute, you know, advanced civilization and then right back to square one and starting again. Um, and do you feel like that's part of the reason too? That has That's also a part of the reason. You look at the Younger Dryas incident, right? So you have the Younger Dryas you're talking about right around the, you know, the Ice Age. So now we're going back 12, 13,000 years. All of a sudden, this gigantic asteroid crashes in uh, to the Earth right above Syria. And all this ice melt happens and all this uh, ice turns into water. Now you've got a regional globalized flood, not a global flood, but a regional flood in a part of the, in a part of the globe coming all the way down, even out through Egypt, where the Sphinx is and the evidence of this younger Dryas is at, is in the Sphinx enclosure yep. where you can clearly see the water damage. You can see how much water has passed through on the walls of the enclosure. And you can almost tell how many years it's taken for that to that erosion to happen. Mm. You're talking about right around the same time as the younger Dryas, dry, uh, dry, no, younger Dryas incident. Mm. And so we're talking about a situation where we have physical evidence that this water flowed down from this younger Dryas and flooded out the entire region there where the Great Sphinx is located at Giza. And it's clear, clear evidence that the Sphinx is not four or 5,000 years old, because if it was, how did this water damage happen to a man-made built enclosure that predates the Ice Age? So we're, you know, we're talking about this Sphinx is much older and the, again, more evidence that the history books are not accurate. Yeah, that sort of brings us on to the pyramids, which I, I've always been fascinated by and always found very difficult to understand how they were built by the people. Even in school when I was like, I don't know, eight years old, I was like, this doesn't, okay. Um, but you, you said like there's water damage there. So do you know roughly what we can date the water damage to? Yeah, roughly around twelve to 13,000 years. And that's coming from a professor, geologist, Dr. Robert Schock. Mm. We're talking about, you know, a person who's still teaching in college right now, a real geologist that went to the university for that particular field that's looking at this and saying, no, this evidence is pointing to here and has taken samples and everything. And because of his, I guess, his dating of the age of this and being very um, vocal about it, 
he's pretty much banned from going back to Egypt. And when it comes to the pyramids, I mean, uh, Graham Hancock did a great job of explaining how unexplainable from his point of view it is that such massive heavy stones would be up so high and um, he famously said if if that was a ramp you need a fucking big ramp and it'd still be there to this day so you know you and I know that you've set up tours for the pyramids and you've got such an interest in that so what is your opinion of who built them how they were built and all of that Mm -hmm. wow the pyramid first of all when you stand next to the great pyramid time slows down because it's time dilation bubble they knew all of this stuff. I mean, the Great Pyramid itself is a gigantic, multifunctional stone computer and power generator. It's got multiple functions. And so when you begin to analyze it as a technological device, not as a monument, all of a sudden, all these question marks start popping up. And when you begin to start looking for answers to those question marks and start studying engineering books, you start to see that we're looking at a real machine, a real machine. And it's so ingenious how they built this. There's a couple ways that it could happen. First of all, it never was a mud ramp. Mud ramps is a a complete farce because you would need more mass than the pyramid in mud. Yeah, (laughs) that's not going to happen. Yeah, right. You're not going to if you and when you stand next to these megalithic blocks, you're going to realize you can't put them on top of tree logs. You got to go get the tree logs from Turkey and bring them all the way down to Egypt. And you got to get these stones and put them on top and roll them in the sand. I mean, come on, more ridiculous. The more asinine it begins to sound. But when you start to look at some of the writings and you hear that Thoth talks about a couple of different things. First, it was a quarry that they used to harvest some of these stones. And you can see that and you can witness it. You can go there and see that they obviously had some type of gravity control system, which alters the atomic uh, uh, structure or, the, or the, the, the orientation, I'm sorry, of the atoms in the stone to get it to be extremely light, not weightless, but much lighter. That's number one. Number two, Thoth talks about combining photons or light, he says, light with frequency, cymatic frequencies. Now, that sounds like, you know, magic. But two years ago in a university in Europe, two scientists got together and for the first time they used photons and vibrations to create solid matter. So we're just now rediscovering what already happened in ancient times. So some of these stones are manifested, as Thoth says, through light waves and frequencies. And some are harvested depending on the usage and what was being done. Another thing that's interesting is if you look at the construction of the Great Pyramid, you begin to realize that it's also an astronomical timepiece. And what it does is it breaks down the distance from the Earth to the moon, the distance from the Earth to the sun, the circumference of the sun, the circumference of the Earth. It's also a scaled down model of Earth itself. If you scale it up 43,200 times, it fits inside the earth perfectly and touches all corners and it also by calculating the, the stones it, it can give you the the days in the year the tropical year the sidereal year it can give you the speed of our sun around the milky way galaxy and even the speed of our galaxy around the local clusters and when you analyze giza from above you realize that it's a star chart of the inner solar system planets okay so you talk about mercury venus earth and mars with the sun in the middle And then also you begin to realize, man, wait a minute, what's going on here? This thing really is giving you the average height of every peak on Earth, the average height. To do that today, we would need a satellite orbiting in a polar orbit. As the Earth spins on its axis, we would be scanning and taping topographical data, stitching it together, sending it into a computer. That computer will now count all the the peaks and then divide them to get the average height. Now, 
That means they had some type of satellite technology. And then they incorporated all of that into the Great Pyramid. So we're talking about a super advanced race of space fearing people, not people that were slaves and and all this other, you know, chicken bones and copper chisels, all this crazy elephants with tree log rollers and mud. That's all a farce. Yeah, and it, it's funny because I know people who've actually just been in the pyramid and and inside just for a tour and said it feels like you're in a machine. It doesn't feel yes. like you're in a an object that was designed to have tour guides take you through. Like they literally right. had to force stairs there, and it's not comfortable, and it isn't made for that. It clearly is, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, what do you make of the fact that like the Egyptians themselves, who kind of moved in, so to speak, have then kind of etched their um, signature on someone else's work? And <laughs> apparently, they've redone the faces on the Sphinx and stuff. Like, do you think that they are taking credit for what came before? No doubt about it. The dynastic Egyptians inherited what was already there. Mm. The Mayan culture inherited what was already there. The Aztecs who came later than the Mayans inherited what was already there and left behind by the Mayans who, were left, who found what was left behind by the Teotihuacans, mm. which means the city of Tehuti, which means the city of Thoth in Mesoamerica. So all these cultures inherited existing ancient megalithic structures and advanced cities that were left behind after the after this thing called the Second Pyramid War, where they released weapons that they called weapons of mass destruction, WMDs, mm-hmm. that were hidden in the mountain that were uh, hidden in the mountain that were forbidden to be used based on what had happened on their home planet in ancient times. In their ancient times, mm. somebody smuggled them to this planet when they when they evacuated and hid them in the mountain. And eventually, a future generation offspring of that person decided to use them in a war. And they created something called the evil wind, which swept across the land and killed the killed the black faced people. It says that's the exact term. It says the black faced people died. The animals died. People's hair and nails were falling out. Eyes were bleeding. You're talking about radiation poisoning. You're talking about radiation sickening, sickness. So we're talking about evidence of an ancient war that happened. So this all it all comes to get all begins to make a lot of sense when you start looking at all these little facts and piecing all the puzzle together. You see what really happened in the ancient past. I, I think the hardest thing for just regular people like myself to wrap my head around is we automatically think we are here now, therefore we must be the most advanced thing that's ever existed. And yeah. and and just to sort of forget that is the, is the healthiest way to sort of digest this information. And, uh, you know, I've seen you talking about some of those um, structures around the pyramids and that looked like launch pads. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that was quite a, f- a fascinating thing as well. And yeah. so, so, just to, just so I'm clear, you think that the is it the Anunnaki specifically are responsible for the pyramids? Yeah, I think that the Anunnaki specifically, who are actually the Atlantean culture, mm. are responsible for the pyramids. In the in the Emerald Tablet, Thoth comes to the land of Kemet. He lands his ship. He descends from the sky down near an ancient temple that's coming up out of the mud. So it's not a ship that's sailing on the ocean, clearly. I mean, it's very clear. Then his crew that he took with them come there to help him rebuild the land of Kem. They say they, they said they stayed there for a time and time again. So they stayed there for a very long time to rebuild. Once they got it rebuilt, he tells his crew that he brought with him to spread out around the planet and duplicate what we did here. So all of a sudden, pyramids and civilization pop up out of nowhere worldwide. 
Have you seen These the pyramid? People... The, the pyramid that well, they they haven't uncovered it because it's covered in earth. But there's a gigantic mm. pyramid I see in a video on recently where it you can see it from a satellite. Do you know which one I'm on about? Uh it's the one I'm going to go see actually in December. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it looks gigantic and that clearly those right angles, they, they don't mm -hmm. look like they were created by nature. It looks like a pyramid hidden underneath the earth, right? Oh yeah, for sure. And they just found over 200 pyramids buried in the sands of Giza with ground penetrating radar from a satellite. <laughs> wow. So they're everywhere. And if you go I, to I Mexico City. I even heard that City, they were in Antarctica from, or something like that, right? Oh, Antarctica, they're everywhere. And the Antarctica pyramid is the super megalithic. It makes the, the Great Pyramid look like it's tiny, right? It's a super massive pyramid. Supposedly, there's so some type of exotic energy coming out of that. You go into the Atlantic Ocean, the center of the Bermuda Triangle, there's a pyramid down there, still, mm -hmm. still emitting some type of exotic energy from the apex. That's what is the cause for all of these disappearances and anomalies and time anomalies and everything else. If you take a line and you were able to go down to the center of that apex and draw a line straight through the center of the Bermuda Triangle and come out on the other side of the Earth, you come out at the Devil's Triangle, right at the Yonaguni Pyramid in Japan, the Dragon's Triangle, I'm sorry, where there's also been disappearances and all kinds of apparitions and so forth. So we're talking about an interconnected uh, grid of pyramids that also duplicated uh, or also um, had a job for as portals or wormholes or something that connected different places on Earth. People would go from one place to another, uh, almost instantaneously, kind of like teleportation. All this stuff was happening in the ancient past, in my personal opinion. Yeah, when you showed me the bird's eye view from above the Egyptian pyramids and how the solar system fits perfectly onto that, that was where I was yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, you didn't do that by accident. Like, no. it is mind-blowing mind stuff here. And um, yeah. you, I want to move on to the Bible a little bit because there was – you know, I, I grew up hearing little Bible stories at school, innocently, just, yeah, okay, that sounds cool. Um, and when, But when you started telling me, like, yeah, some of this has really been copied from, like, word for word almost, from thousands of years ago from other scriptures and, and stuff that you've been reading. So, mm -hmm. um, so Adam and Eve, you kind of covered that. Adam and Eve were the first of many of this new version of us. So that is kind of true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, yeah, they're they're the new version. They're the ones that were okay. Now they can uh, they can mate on their own. So, if you start reading these texts, you find out that the Garden of Eden was like a giant laboratory, but there was like a mating uh, house, like how you have horses and and stalls, and you mate them at certain times of the day. Mm. We were being treated like animals, like literally. They would have men on one side and women on the other side, and then there were uh, specific mating times, and you got in trouble if you didn't mate at the right time. And if you try to mate out of your turn, you also got in trouble. And what's interesting is there's guards at the gate in the Bible. There's guards at the gate in the book of Adam, which is an apocrypha text left out of the Bible. There's guards at the gate in the Sumerian tablets. What in the hell do we need guards for with weapons? They all have weapons. Why would they have weapons? What are they doing there? Why does God need guards with weapons when he can just think things into existence? You see, when you start analyzing this for what it really is, you begin to realize wait a minute, something else is going on. Why do they call Yahweh, Satan, the Lord of Eden, E-D-I-N, in the ancient text? Because he really is Satan. That's why. That's why my most famous video that I did is, you know, could the God of the Bible be Satan? 
uh, I break it all the way down. You know, so we're talking about two people that were just the two, the first two of the most genetically modified for the per- for the purpose of mating, creating, and building a slave race on this planet. That means everyone on this planet was a slave. David Ike definitely touched on a little bit of that in our interview where he said, like, I think people are worshiping the wrong God. You know, like if you look at the way God is depicted in the Old Testament and the things he comes out with, is that a benevolent, soft, loving, caring God like you'd want to believe him to be? Not really. Um, No. David said to me, it's the gods. You need to remember that. And by gods, we mean the aliens who are actually Mm -hmm. in control. Um, In terms of Jesus, you've talked a little bit about about the, the real story of Jesus. Can you talk a bit more about that and explain that to me, please? Sure, absolutely. First of all, Jesus, his name is his real name is Yeshua, right? Yeshua. That's his real name. Uh, and he was a real person, an actual real physical person. Because some people think maybe it was just a myth. No, it wasn't a myth. It was a real person. Now, a lot, some of the things attributed to him were um, kind of out there because they got taken out of context and remixed. But when he uh, turned, you know, from the age of 12 to 32, he disappears from the biblical text. He's, he's gone missing. All right, so where does he go? Well, he ends up in Egypt. And I just took 130 people just a few weeks ago to the place where he actually laid his head. It's a shrine there in Egypt. And there's a map there that shows all the places that him and his mother visited while in Egypt and stayed as they were hiding from the Romans. And so uh, in Egypt, he was learning the Egyptian mysteries. Okay. And then he leaves there eventually at some point, he heads to Tibet. And then he's now learning Qigong and Reiki and all these other energy healings and so forth with his hands. And that's been confirmed by the Dalai Lama. Then he's coming down back in through India, learning the mystic arts. And he's teaching reincarnation all the way back. And if anybody really reads the book of Revelation, they realize that it's a reincarnation story of, of flesh and blood because it says you're coming back in a real body, not, not some light body. You're going to be in a real body and you're going to have a new name. It's a reincarnation story. But, but nonetheless, he's teaching this, um, and he's, so he was a real person. In my opinion, he could have been learning the ancient mysteries from both the Atlantean, which is who, uh, who was the originator of the mystery schools, number one, that had lasted for so many thousands of years. But also, there's another possibility. It's just a hypothesis. This being talks about being able to incarnate at will. He talks about using bodies to come back, Bodies that he clones himself or creates himself. He says he creates these bodies to come back in and walk around. Could he somehow say, you know what? I'd like to know what is it like to have the human experience and allows himself to come back through the womb of a human being, uh, retaining full memory so that he can have the experience of coming through the womb and suffering as what we call, call a normal person or what he, call, what he used to call the little people. Right. It's a possibility, just a hypothesis, something to ponder or think about. But it's pretty interesting that Mary's mother was also a virgin birth. So she's also in vitro fertilization. Where, where did you hear that Mary was also a virgin birth? That's in the Apocrypha text. Wow. So when you read the Apocrypha, you begin to find this out. If you read the Gospel of the Holy Twelve, you find out where Jesus, Jesus disappeared to when he disappears from the Bible, the Gospel of the Holy Twelve. Again, they accidentally on purpose left this information out of the Bible, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do seem to have been selective. From everything I'm learning ab- about what you're saying, it's, it, it seems like they pick and choose what sort of matches up with the story they want to tell. So in regards to the story of, is Jesus the son of God, you think yeah. he may be connected in some way to um, uh, Thoth? When they say God, they're talking about these people. And, and David Icke was right, God's with an S. Because in the Bible, everywhere where you see the word God singular, 
That's a mistranslation by accident on purpose. The original term is gods with an S mm. and Elohim is also plural gods. So we're talking about gods and we're not talking anywhere in that Bible about the creator of the actual universe itself. Nowhere does it ever mention the real creator of the universe. That book is about flesh and blood people, men that put their pants on one leg at a time, just like you and me. Uh, so it's really unfortunate. But these gods and these people were advanced. They had advanced knowledge, advanced spiritual concepts, advanced technology. Uh, and so that's who these people were, were learning from. And, you know, in my father's house, there are many mansions. Well, there's, in my opinion, there's super duper massive spaceships in, in uh, you know, in outer space. <laughs> yeah, I, I just think that he was part human, part Anunnaki, more like a quote unquote demigod, in my opinion. But what's interesting is a very small text was found years ago called the Book of Jesus's Wife, which is located at the Harvard Seminary. So and in the Sinai Bible, he was never crucified. I think that's a fabrication made up by the Roman church. Uh, you know, they added their pagan doctrine and everything else to the Bible, too. So they could say, you know what? We're tired of fighting these people. Let's just go collaborate with them and collect all the money. We'll take the tithes and offerings and we'll give them the taxes. So we'll double dip on them. They'll, they'll be so dumb they won't even realize it. And that's what happened. Yeah, so the the Roman Catholic Church have basically re reworked the story so that it sounds nicer for them. Yeah. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, Jesus, the physical version of Jesus that we see uh, in Brazil, for example, he didn't really look like that. He No. <laughs> no. Yeah. That's a pope's son. That that face, that's, that's Caesar Borgia. Mm. Caesar Borgia, who was a murdering killer who was sleeping with his sister, killed his brother because he won his brother's power and, and rights to rule and so forth underneath his dad, who was a pope. And he ordered uh, all the paintings to be, you know, to have his face to be depicted as him. And it just caught on and it continued on for obviously till this current day. But yeah, I mean, you know, the real Yeshua was a Middle Eastern or African man, not not the, the depiction that we see. So even in that, people are praying to a false image. You know, the Bible says don't pray, pray to false gods, yet they're praying to a man, I mean a real man, and also uh, they're praying to his image, which is not even a right image, so that's even a false image. And then they're calling on his name, which is not even his name. The J is a recent letter. The J was in like the 1500s, I believe, or something, 1540 or whatever it was. Don't quote me exactly, but J wasn't there. They're, 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 they're screaming out Isus, which means Hail Zeus. This is why calling on that name has no real power. You know, he's not even, you're not even calling on the per, you know, the person who's supposed to be the God, the son of God. And so, what he so says in the Bible is. We're all worshiping a guy who, who murdered someone, essentially. Um, they're murdering a guy who, who murdered somebody. Yeah, the and they're calling son. on Zeus yeah. at the same time. So their, their prayers are all mixed up. They have no, they have no power. If you, if you look at the state of the world today and you calculate 85% of the world is Christian, 85%. And all those prayers are going up night in, night out, day in, day out, trillions of prayers a day because people are praying multiple times a day, times by billions. All of a sudden, you begin to realize these prayers ain't being answered. We should be living in the golden age right now. Yeah. How come the golden age isn't happening? And when you say Because hey, these prayers aren't working. And when you say, hey, hey, we're saying instead of Jesus means hey, Zeus, uh, Zeus being one of the Anunnaki, I'm assuming. One of the Anunnaki. Yeah. And, and when we the talk Anunnaki. about like those, those Greek gods and all of that, this, is this kind of what we're referring to as well in that sense? Yes. Uh, the Greek gods are the old, are the old Anunnaki, the, are, you know, the newer version of the Anunnaki pantheon, so to speak. So, yeah. you know, you can just convert their names over from 
from from uh, Sumerian, and they all took them over and converted them into Greek names. You know, like Mercury is actually Thoth, for example, right? Uh-huh. Poseidon is Enki. So you got you start to see this correlation between the they're they're still talking about the pantheon of Greek Greece is still talking about the Anunnaki, and people are still praying to these Anunnaki gods till this very day. Matter of fact, every time you say Amen, you're praying, you're saying thank you to Amun Ra, who is also known as Marduk. That's in the Jewish Torah. That's in the Bible. You can look up the name. Just do a search on that name, M-A-R-D-U-K. Oh, wow. Then you find out that Marduk is actually Amun-Ra from ancient Egypt. And he ordered that every person give thanks under his name, you know, when uh, when they pray or anything that they get. So it's really a, a moon, but it became Amen much later, obviously, over iterations of verb verbages and people, people speaking. Mm. But you're giving thanks to a brutal, killing, murdering ruler every time you say amen. <laughs> this is why people have no idea, because when you're praying, you're trying to cast a spell. That's really what it is. You want to alter your reality to your benefit by saying these words to a deity on the outside of you, and you're hoping that something magical happens and turns things around. That's casting a spell. But you can't even cast a spell, right, because you're calling on deities that don't have any power. It is quite amazing when you think we've all been saying, like, I remember being a little kid at school saying, oh, man, like, you know, you pray, pray. <laughs> you know, when they tell you, and I, I never thought, why am I saying the words, oh, man, like ever? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you've mentioned Satan or Satan um, a few times now. What can yeah. you tell me about him? Well, he's an evil dude. His name is actually Enlil from the ancient Sumerian tablets. If you read the Epic of Gilgamesh and the, or the book of Deuteronomy in the Bible, you're going to go, oh, my goodness, this is who I've been praying to. This guy would say in the Epic of Gilgamesh, human beings, the humans are making too much clamor. They're just too loud. Go kill them off. So he would send his military out to go kill like hundreds or even thousands of humans to get it more quiet outside. Just a little too much noise. Or he would say, the people over here, he had this thing called an all-seeing eye that can let him see population densities on the planet, okay? On a crystal tablet, he calls it. He says, you know, people over here, they're just, they're just unruly. He would send his people to go spray their crops and dry them out. So now we're talking about chemtrails in Sumerian tablets so they can starve to death. Just starve them to death. They'll shut up now, right? And then he would even spread plagues. He would have them go spread plagues to kill... So we're talking about a brutal, evil dude. Uh, and so he didn't like what happened when Thoth, I'm sorry, when his brother Enki, Enki, Thoth is Enki's son, when Enki uh, went into the Garden of Eden and started talking to these people and telling them how powerful they are and that they have, that, you know, that they're not animals, that they deserve the right to walk around with respect and dignity just like us because we're, we're the same. That was the apple that they ate. The apple was knowledge. Apple represents knowledge. And so when he came back uh, and Lil, he realizes what's happened, that his brother interacted with them. So he made a decree that his brother is a devil. His, my, you know, he's, don't worship him. Don't talk to him. This guy is evil to keep him from getting in everyone's ear and waking them up. So, but the true Satan, the true devil is Yahweh, which is Enlil. So the guy in the, in the Bible who says, you know, don't listen to the snake, he's the real problem. Right. The snake is wisdom. In all ancient texts, the snake always represents wisdom. But you see how they twisted it? Snakes, you're a snake. You're crawling on your belly. You're this deceiver. No, snakes in ancient Egypt, in the dynastic era, in Mayan, everywhere else you go, a snake is representing wisdom. And this is also kind of, I assume, how 
God seems to twist personality throughout the Bible is they're picking and choosing from different gods, and that's why yeah. there's no consistency there. And that's why they're battling. They're fighting. They they got so uh, so much ego. They started fighting each over each other, fighting each other over resources and humans. So who who can who can rule over the most humans? Who can get the most praise from their from the, the humans that they're ruling over? And they started going to war over this stuff. And the Book of Deuteronomy in the Bible, you see one God, because you could tell it's two or three different gods speaking. You go to this town, and and you go with my angels. Now angels are putting on the breastplates in battle and getting all kind of weapons out. Why do angels need weapons? And why are they going to fight with humans? Go to this city. One person there has something against me. And so I want you to kill everyone in the entire city. Kill the women. Kill the children. You're talking about killing babies now. They say even slaughter the, the, the animals if you want to. And they say, if you find some virgins, by the way, you can bring them back. Bring the virgins back. <laughs> this is in the book of Deuteronomy. Yeah. If, if you see a woman walking across the field, you can rape her. But if you rape her, now you've got a choice. You can keep her or you can, you know, you can tell her to go or you can keep her as a wife. So now you've got rape and abduction false imprisonment, you know, and then you get all these stupid battles going back and forth, go to this town and smite everyone and bring the spoils of war back to me. Why does God, the creator of the universe, need spoils of war? Why does he need that? You see, we're talking about real people. We're not talking about the creator of the universe because the creator of the universe doesn't have time to get involved in petty wars of ants. We're just like ants. I'm not going to the ant hill and going, I wonder if this red ant is against that red ant. Let me kick this red ant's huh. hill so this red ant can have a benefit of it. I mean, come on. <laughs> and I suppose that's why when when we talk about sacrifices to the gods, you know, that's what yeah. they're really referring to is this, these yep. real people um, real who people. are actually happy to accept them. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. And, and yeah, I've definitely seen so-called gods depicted with battle armor on and and even going back to um some hieroglyphics i've seen where like basically animals slash people look like they're in flying objects and you're like well mm -hmm. what was going on there then um yeah. in, in terms of um other bible stories are there any others that you've uncovered where you're like oh this this has some truth in it but it was this like noah's ark for example uh, mm -hmm. anything like that or Noah's Ark is pretty interesting because when you look at the biblical account, it seems that the, the dimensions make it into what we would call a ship. But uh, you look at the information released about six years ago, it's at the British Museum. They found a lost tablet. This tablet talks about uh, Zizudra, who's really Noah in the modern day Bible, mm -hmm. getting the order and the decree to build this ship. And the dimensions of the ship is like a disc, not a ship that sails across the ocean, something totally different. He was also told not to gather two of every kind on the entire planet. Don't get these two cockroaches because it's going to come in handy. No, <laughs> he was told to gather your local, your local cattle and your local, you know, animals and things like that. Some of the flora and fauna, some seeds or whatever. And he put those on the, on the, on the round submersible or maybe it flew. Nobody really knows, but it, it was round and it's, it's depicted there. It's very, clear to see it was a round disc not mm. a sailing ship pretty interesting uh and then when you look at the sumerian tablets you discover that this strike of this asteroid that created this global flood was avoidable by the anunnaki but that enlil was so pissed off about all the knowledge and wisdom and all the inspiration that had been given by his brother enki and his nephew thoth and a few others he said, I'm going to wipe out the entire planet and we're going to start over again. 
Uh, and he had that power because he was a ranking ruler over even his own family members. It says that they had watched from their sky abode and they, and they mourned their creation being destroyed. So they watched this from space. So essentially, Satan or en- Enlil, did you say, sorry? Um, yeah. He, he kind person. of al- he allowed this to happen to create a reset because he was unhappy with the way things were going. Yeah. So I'm going to start fresh. Let's start all over again. Mm. And that's where the Emerald Tablets picks up. Thoth is given a decree by his father, yeah. who's Enki. He's also known as Thought Me, to go to the land of Kim and rebuild them to a high level of civilization. So he sneaks his son in and says, hey, man, let's let's get this thing cranking again. Let's get it going again. Start teaching these people. And as soon as Thoth lands his ship there, the barbarians come to attack him. So you can see how far back we had fallen again, all the way to a barbaric stage. And he says that he raised his staff and he sends out a ray of vibration, which stopped them still a stone of the mountain. So he has some type of a, a non-lethal uh, vibration weapon that freezes them in their tracks. And then he goes over to begin to talking to him. They start groveling at his feet. And he says, no, stand up. I'm a son of Atlantis. He didn't say I'm a son of God. He didn't say I am God. He said, I'm a son of Atlantis. I'm here to bring you back up to a high level of civilization. And he begins to talk peace with them. And they talk about rebuilding and they begin to put their plans together to rebuild. So he essentially seems like a force of good and and part of, uh, you know, even though he was Anunnaki, he was now Earth Earthling, essentially. Yeah. Um, I assume the the question from the audience will be, well, if they've been here before, are they still here now? And if so, where are they? Yeah. I think that they are still here now. There's a tablet which talks about after that war I told you about, a lot of them left. Some stayed. And I believe that their offspring are still walking the planet till this very day. I still, I also still believe there are some very, very powerful ones operating behind the veil that are controlling the governments of this world, a very small faction that are still pulling the strings and controlling every war, every outcome, uh, and trying to, you know, keep their grasp on the planet that's evolving and changing in, 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 in not only in massive civilization, but also in technology, and that they're going to soon lose that grip as the age of Aquarius is upon us, and these beings only rule by star charts. It's very interesting that you bring up star science, because I was actually going to bring that up at some point, because um, mm. they are wholeheartedly opposed by religion, it seems, and viewed as devil worship style stuff. Yeah. Uh, what is your opinion of their significance to us? Super significant. You're going back to the time of Horus from ancient Kemet, long before it was the, the dynastic era. He's one of the Naturu, right? Uh, and so Horus, which is where you get the word horoscope, it comes from Horus from ancient Egypt. And so this gave, gave us the ability to understand months and movements of stars and alignments and everything else. It's really important because when you look at star charts and you look at um, astrology, which I used to think was maybe not real, when I started to look into science and gravitational fields, I realized there is some truth to astrology, and there's probably a lot of fake ones out there, but there are some ones that are probably pretty spot on. When I look, looked at some scientific studies where they took um, frogs' eggs into space and they began to uh, let them mature, let the embryos mature and hatch, and I'm not hatch, but you know, grow into frogs, they, st- they were realizing something incredible that the magnetic field of the earth and the pull of the moon were having effect on whether they were male or female. And so this experiment was done a few more times and they began to realize that magnetic fields and gravitational fields alter uh, the, the genes inside of an embryo in the embryonic stage. 
Now, when you look at star charts and alignments, if you're born under a specific alignment on a specific day, that field that's being created, which spans across billions of light years, is going to have a minute effect on your genes and your DNA while you're in the gestation period. So you become, you come out of that and you, you begin to grow up, but those slight energetic modifications become part of your personality matrix. And so I do believe that astrology has a lot of real, uh, real information to it. It's just that some people are, you know, charlatans and some aren't. It's hard to find a real good one. But if you find a good one, I believe that you can find some good information in that. And in terms of what you just said about there still being um, remnants of the Anunnaki in, like you know, behind the cloak of government and etc., David Ike is definitely on board with that. And it was really interesting to hear the way he put them across. Of, um, you know, they're very aware of a lot of this information, and they're, they're shrouded in secrecy, but they are still very powerful. Um, do you worry that you're? kind of saying a lot right now and maybe shining a light on you know, especially with you know c the control government and religion have over the world still um are you worried about you know how far you're pushing things not really i think that i don't have enough power as of yet maybe if i become a little bit more powerful uh, i don't think i have enough influence yet to make an impact on a scale that would get their complete attention mm. uh, i'm moving in that direction but as for right now my biggest threats are coming from the community that watches my videos. People who believe in flat earth and I don't believe in flat earth. They want, they, they sent me death threats. I've had d three death threats from people that believe the earth is flat because I'm talking about pyramids and, and, and space. Um, you know, I've had, uh, uh, people that are going against, uh, that, that believe in religion and I'm going against religion and going towards spirituality. And so those zealots and religious zealots, you know, I've gotten death threats from them. They want to kill me in the name of God, obviously. So my biggest threats are, you know, are coming from the people, not from any government agency, which is probably what they like. Let, you know, let, you know, they probably want me to be consumed by these, uh, these people that are on the border of psychopathic, narcissistic mindsets or schizophrenia or whatever else, or, or a lot of these people are really just, um, uh, obsessed fanatics. They're susceptible to fanaticism. So, you know, let the fanaticism sort it out, sort it out. So, you yeah. know, I just have a, I try to go as many places as I can with my weapon on me. Uh, I carry a concealed weapon. If I, if I, if I'm out somewhere else, I usually have an armed guard. You know, that's that's what just that's the life you that's the life you live. You know, but my biggest threat is not coming from the government; it's coming from it's coming from the people. Yeah, and in terms of like the Illuminati and all these you know conspiracy theories we hear about the government, have you done much research into them? And what's your sort of take? Because you mentioned the old saying "I" earlier, just as a part of conversation, but we say that on the top of a pyramid, on the dollar mm -hmm. bill. Like, yeah, do you have any knowledge about that, for example, and, and just general research in that area? It was a primary factor in the documentary I created, which is an award-winning documentary about the Black Knight satellite. And so the all-seeing eye is mentioned in this documentary because Enlil, who when you look him up and Google, uh, you know, what planets does Enlil own? Does Enlil own anything in space? You find out that the ancient Sumerian tablets attribute the ownership of the Boetus constellation to Enlil. This guy owns a constellation. Mm. Now, what's interesting with that is the fact that on this in these texts, he talks about the fact that he has this tablet, this crystal tablet that can see anything on any part of the world at any given time. That means he's got something connected to a satellite that's orbiting the planet in a polar orbit so he can see what's going on on the planet. And so I connect that to the Black Knight satellite, which is this object that's still orbiting our planet today that's on NASA.gov. It's listed as space junk. 
It weighs approximately an estimated 15 tons by them, not by me. And nobody will touch this thing because they don't know what it's doing. But over the years, people have picked up a signal from this, including Nikola Tesla, who also picked up a signal from this thing. But the signal has been deciphered by not only ham radio operators, but also an astronomer who wrote an article about it in Time magazine in 1960. And more recently, an NSA declassified document which talks about this signal. Then it points to Boatis constellation. The ham radio operators in the 1950s, it points to Boatis constellation. The astronomer in 1960, Boatis constellation. What's interesting there, you got four different sources coming up with the same exact location that this thing is sending or receiving some type of information from a constellation owned by a Sumerian god who says he has an all-seeing eye. I think that that Black Knight satellite or that object that's up there is super ancient. It dates back to where Boltus was in the sky about 13,000 years ago. So it could be at least 13,000 years old based on star alignments. And it could be transmitting in real time updates on what's going on on this planet with this abandoned seed colony we call Earth. Yeah, I've seen footage of this thing, or at least what what looks like satellite images of it, yeah. and it is massive. And mm-hmm. it, it, yeah, it does beg our belief what the hell was going on there. What's You've also mentioned here? the importance of Iraq, um, and mm-hmm. I thought that was quite interesting because there has always, I mean, the way America, you know, has wanted to claim control of it, you know, in the past, freedom fighters, so yeah. to speak, um, and, and, and the importance of what that uh, part of the world has. Can you elaborate on that for me, mate? Well, first and foremost, be careful when America wants to bring democracy to your country, yeah. because that means you're going to be pummeled to death and you're going to be left with dust. Yeah. Uh, you know, a whole bunch of blown up hospitals, schools, school buses, and a lot of dead civilians that had nothing to do with anything. Mm. That's unfortunate. But Iraq, what's interesting is after these 9-11 attacks, we got to go there. We got to go get revenge. We got to go get these WMDs. Well, how come they go look for WMDs at Saddam Hussein's museum? The first place they went was to the museum and blew the doors open to the deepest areas of that museum. There were steel doors that had some artifacts that Saddam Hussein was claiming proved that civilization has started in Iraq, ancient Iraq, which is Sumeria, Mesopotamia, and that they proved also that there was advanced beings with advanced technology in the ancient past. The head of the Board of Transportation of Iraq had come forward about now four or five years ago and made a big statement that the original first airports and technology that existed was here in Iraq. And uh, he took a lot of criticism for that, but this is an official saying, He's not only does he know it, but I have he says I have proof. So what does America do? They go there, boom, blow the doors off. They go and they scour the basement of that museum and take artifacts. And I have a friend that was actually on that team who went there and sent me photos. They took artifacts. What are you doing to get revenge against America when you're stealing artifacts from museums? Something in there that they didn't want anybody to know about or they wanted to figure out how they can work it themselves. The second thing was they went to the ziggurat of Ur next. First two stops, we're going to go to a pyramid. We're going to blow it open and go inside. And they took this object out of that pyramid that looks like the disc from the Stargate movie. Okay. Mm. Just like it. Matter of fact, I believe the Stargate movie now was, was, was created on uh, after this thing they discovered. I have photos on one of my Facebook groups. I think it's my Anunnaki history group from years ago that my friend took standing there on the steps of the ziggurat with the whole entire military. They had just, you know, this thing had just come out. And they put it on the back of a double wide Humvee and put a tarp over it. It went off into the Sun City, never seen it again. 
But again, was that the WMD? Maybe something that can access or open a portal or a Stargate? We don't know. But the real purpose for that whole thing was three things. To get that information about advanced civilizations from the museum. The second thing was to go get this object that looks like a Stargate. And the third thing was to be able to pummel the entire country and steal all of, all of its resources, form Halliburton Corporation, which made $34 billion off of the cleanup, which they built like four or five houses and a couple of gas stations for hundreds of millions of dollars and kept the rest of the money. Do you believe that we've been to the moon then or other, other planets as in this version of human? Do you believe we went? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You see, the moon was a recognizance mission. They realized during a couple of low lunar orbiting missions that there was stuff up there that shouldn't be there. And they wanted to get their hands on it and figure out what the hell it was. The real race to the moon between Russia and America was to get their hands on ancient technology. This Mm. is what the general population has no clue about. There are so many anomalies up there. There's so much stuff laying around on the surface. We got to go get this stuff. This can be the next technological revolution if we get it first and we can turn it into a weapon. Everything is about weaponizing. The big race and the push was to get this first. And so when they got there, they began to bag up some of this stuff and bring it back. But now we can't show you what's really there because now you're going to be asking questions. Well, what's that doing there? What are these things looking like wires? Why does it look, look, look like a torn down structure? Mm. See, China sent the moon rover and they made a mistake. They showed they sent back live footage. The rover got stuck in debris that looks like a junkyard from Earth. And they can't get it out. It's still stuck there till this very day. The images were too late. They were transmitted already. No way to erase the images. No way to photo crop them or rock crop them or delete the stuff that's in there because it was transmitted in real time. So we know for a fact that it's there. Also, the Clementine mission from the military, they sent the lunar orbiting satellite with advanced camera technology, which transmitted back gigs of data. And this data is mind blowing when it got to what we call the dark side, which is really the far side of the moon. It crashed and, and it never came back. I knew it wasn't coming back when I saw the name Clementine, because that's an old Western song. Oh, my darling Clementine, you were lost and gone forever. They knew it was never going to come back. They want to intentionally crash this thing into a structure to maybe get more data out of it. But the images that anyone can download are mind boggling images, which look like structures, vehicles. And what looks like remnants of technology scattered all over the place. So, you know, uh, we went to the moon, in my personal opinion, but they lied about it. They created some fake images, some fake video clips, keep it looking like a barren, uh, sandy landscape. When in true reality, it's all about gathering up and taking, you know, doing a, uh, I guess, maybe some CSI work to figure out who the hell was up there, where they come from and what kind of technology is this and how can we incorporate it into our arsenal? That's pretty much what it was. Yeah, sort of like a keep the public thinking there's nothing to say up there. It was just a touchdown and then we'll come back home. Um, and in terms of like the – we're seeing modern technology advancing at a, at a rapid rate in, as opposed to the last couple of thousand years. Like all of a sudden things have sped up. And I wondered if you thought that um, maybe crash landings of UFOs or anything alien technology has anything to do with that. Oh, for sure. First of all, what they grabbed on the moon, number one, that tech they grabbed from the moon and brought back accelerated us. The crash landings in 1947 super accelerated us. What the Nazis discovered in Antarctica with these other race of beings that were there, uh, this Aryan race. See, the Aryan race isn't blonde hair, blue eyed people. That's a whole nother fake thing. That I they, was unaware of the Nazis discovering anything in Antarctica. So can you? Um, yeah. 
helped us understand that. Oh, yeah. They went down there. They were, first of all, uh, uh, Hitler sent his people all over the world, even to Tibet, looking for these ancient scrolls and scriptures and papyruses to find out or anything he could about ancient technology because he believed that the ancient past were more technologically advanced than them. They finally were sent to, they were pointed in the direction of Antarctica and they go there and they, they discover that there's people there in this particular opening, about a 30, mile, 30 meter wide opening. And they go down there and they begin to collaborate with these people. These people claimed, uh, according to accounts, that they, they we're going to give you some power back. We're going to teach you how to make these weapons and take control of the planet. And we'll then, when we come back out to rule the planet, we're going to allow you guys to have power. That's what it was all about. Nothing about blonde hair, blue eyed, and all this other kind of stuff. I think it was something totally different and totally twisted by the general public. It was all about this race that he had discovered there and giving them back their kingship over this planet. And then he would, he would have power underneath them. They helped him create these Hanabu craft, these flying craft that he had, some flying as early as the 1930s. The UFO shaped craft that had gun turrets on them, part nuclear, part magnetic, uh, part uh, uh, ferrofluid vortex engine powered uh, uh, anti-gravity craft. Mm. And so uh, Admiral Byrd discovered this when he went down. There were some Navy vessels and they were attacked. And not only were they attacked, some people died and he got sent back with his tail between his legs. And he said, there's a new enemy that can go from pole to pole. So this was an actual broadcast, an actual interview he was on. So they were down there. They got this advanced tech. Now, why, why I'm saying that had an influence on us now is because during when we won World War II, we literally took over 2,000, not 10, 15, 20, 2,000 Nazis out of Germany and brought them to America under Project Paperclip. And we put them in the CIA. We put them in the space program. We put them in the military. We put them in intelligence areas. We did all this stuff to them, and we and we we made them a part of the United States. We actually became the Fourth Reich in a weird kind of way. Yeah, right, they, you know they that, made up uh, NASA essentially, from what I've heard. Right, the NASA. You know, yeah. you, you know. So we're talking about man. These guys brought all that tech that they had been discovering, who they themselves said they had help from people above that was that was the exact response they gave how they were getting this technology so we're operating right now militarily off of technology based on help from aliens that came to the germans and then we abducted those germans and brought them here and it came to us that's how we became the most powerful nation in the world technologically uh, for as far as war goes so that's how it happened it came from there you mentioned Antarctica, and I, I think that there's a lot of theories out there of why Antarctica is shut off. Do you believe it's it's more to do with, I don't know, Anunnaki around that area? Or I can tell you there's a lot of research going on. We have a new series on my TV network on Forbidden Knowledge TV. It's called The Secrets of Antarctica by Brad Olson. Now, Brad, who's a very good friend of mine and a very popular researcher and best-selling author, he went down there. And he was granted access to uh, an area where the research bases are actually located. And some of this footage is in my TV show that I produced. What's interesting is you'll find that there's bases there from all over the world researching something that's in an opening off in the distance. What are they researching and who are they talking to? Just like who, who was Hitler talking to? I think they're talking and researching the same civilization. And now that the ice is melting, they're discovering technology there. And I, th I think that's what it's really all about. You also have another research base there called the Rockefeller Foundation, the only one that's not a country. The Rockefeller yeah. Foundation is there as well. And you can see this just by going to Google Earth and zooming in right there. You'll find all the bases and the names of the bases are clearly labeled. So it's not a secret. 
But it's a no war zone. You can't fight there. You can't, you know, but it is guarded with weapons, but you can't, those nations that are there, they can't fight each other. They're, they're collaborating. But what's interesting is Buzz Aldrin went down there a few years back and he made a tweet, which became a cryptic tweet. He said, these people are evil. We're facing the ultimate evil or something to that effect. And then about maybe uh, seven, eight hours later, he deleted it. But by then everybody had already screenshotted it and everything else. And they said, oh, we had to fly him out of here because he was getting sick. But something he saw, something he heard, he didn't like it. He didn't like it at all. So it's pretty interesting what's going on down there. But we talk a lot about a lot of this in that TV series on my TV network, The Secrets of Antarctica by Brad Olson. So you mentioned Rockefeller. Uh, David, I certainly has mentioned them plenty. Um, do you think that they have knowledge of these um, Anunnaki and they are maybe a part oh, yeah. of it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. One of them actually made a statement years ago. I forget which Rockefeller it was, but he said uh, um, there was it wasn't a Rockefeller. It was his partners. The Rothschild actually made the statement, but they 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 collab together. I mean, they yeah, both own, own the central bank. Yeah. Right. But uh, they they said that you know we deserve we we have the right to rule over mankind. They really believe that they're supposed to rule over us, and this is coming from their genetic lineage that they feel that they're directly connected to these Anunnaki gods who are connected to these. You know, the gods that are on the Sumerian kings list that rule for hundreds of thousands of years. You know, the Sumerian kings list is talking about gods that rule for 14,400 years, 28,000 years and so forth and so on. You got all this list of all these people that ruled. And then after the great flood, kingship was handed down to mankind that there'd be one liaison that was half human, half Anunnaki, that they would be the go through person to the people. And so through that bloodline and lineage, here comes many others, including the Rothschilds and the Rockefellers. Mm -hmm. When you look at the ancient text, which where Amon Ra was trying to escape this last war, he makes a very crazy statement. He says, I'm leaving the kingship and the finances to my Ra Kam. Ra Kam, K-A-M, which is an ancient word that not, translates now into the word shield. So 5,000 years ago, he left the kingship and the finances and control over to the Ra shield, which now is the Rothschilds. So this is ancient wow. stuff, man. It's it's all connected. Yeah, and 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 David specifically, when I interviewed him, he mentioned that there's the possibility of they can, you know, the the elite level of 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 these um, Anunnaki can be interdimensional. Do you subscribe to that theory? That's interesting. Now, if you consider that there are a lot of different types of beings that exist in the universe, in my opinion, and anyone that's not from Earth is an Anunnaki. Because like if me and you travel to, you and I travel to Mars, right? And they go, hey, man, where are you guys from? Who are you? Oh, we're Earthlings. We're not going to say, I'm Billy Carson from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, right? So <laughs> we're going to say we're yeah. Earthlings. So, you know, it's a generalized term. Now, yeah. because of that, I believe that there are multiple dimensions that exist in the universe. I even believe in the parallel universe and also the multiverse. I also believe that if I'm an advanced being, that understands I'm living in a multidimensional reality and I have the technology to access or find out the atomic phase structure or the atomic phase frequency of a specific dimension. If I can phase shift my atom atoms to that, I can probably walk right in or maybe even get a peer in or look in. So I believe that there could be multidimensional beings that have the ability to transshift from dimension to dimension. Uh, or maybe a higher dimensional being that has the capability to walk into our dimension. Uh, maybe even some of the paranormal activity we've heard about for over so many years 
going yeah. back even thousands of years, could be multidimensional beings interacting with the third dimension, appearing like apparitions or paranormal activity. But it's really an advanced race of people kind of have a peek in to see what's going on here. Uh, so uh, I believe that, you know, a lot of these possibilities just exist and are our, you know, our lack of understanding of who we even are in the universe and how new we are to this place puts us in a position where the ego kind of takes over and, and presupposes that we're the end all be all when we're, we're actually the new kids on the block. That really has hit me a lot since starting to listen to your content. I think the the, the main thing that came to my head is, damn, we are babies and yes. we really think we're grown ups, but we're really not. Um, yeah. And specifically, there was one uh, account that you um, talked about, which I'd never heard about before, surprisingly, because I do love to learn about this sort of stuff. But uh, there was a mixed race couple that were abducted. And you yes. said that they sort of spoke about something that hadn't happened yet, but that was then later proved to be true. Can you talk about that, please? Yeah, Betty and Barney. Betty and Barney, um, they were, I forget the last name now, Betty and Barney, they were actually abducted. This is in, I think, the 1950s or 1960s. Mm. One, a real famous account, a mixed race couple. Uh, they were taken up on a craft. They were just driving home and this craft appeared in front, in front of the car and it abducted them. They lost time and everything. Under hypnosis, they began to recount what actually happened. And um, and Betty began to talk about how they um, you know, started cutting open her dress, which the dress is actually like, you know, uh, it's in a museum. It's like really, you know, damaged. You can see where the damage happened. They began to cut up her dress. Uh, they started to probe her, probe, probe uh, Barney as well. And what's interesting is they showed her a star system. She didn't know it was a star system. She saw dots. She said, where are you from? They showed her this pattern. She reproduced that pattern for this, um, this, this uh, I guess, this psych psychotherapist who put her under, under this uh, hypnosis. And when that was given to people to research, it ended up in the hands of an astronomer and a scientist. They realized it was a Zeta Reticulus constellation. And that uh, that's not the only account of these beings coming from Zeta Reticulus, which is pretty interesting, but that these beings obviously maybe had come from that, that uh, constellation. So we have an account in modern times where people are abducted and they recount where these, what these beings did to them and where they said they came from. And at the time, from what I understand, that, that constellation hadn't even been sort of discovered yet. Right. It wasn't discovered yet. We didn't discover it until later. So as they it sat around for a little for, for some time mm -hmm. and then somebody had an epiphany moment and realized, oh, man, this is linking to this. And they finally merged it together and realized, wow, it's a Zeta Reticulus. So for me, it adds a lot of credibility to the story. If we weren't created by aliens, but were um tweaked to become this by aliens then in your opinion what is god first of all i believe god is on the outside of this these dimensions on the outside of this universe i don't believe that god is in the universe per se as a physical form being mm. i don't believe that god is either a man nor a woman either i don't believe that there's a gender on this god i think that calling god a man is probably the, the craziest thing i've ever heard because we know that life comes out of a womb but but the fact that I think it's an it's, it's outside, it's an entity or maybe even possibly entities, plural, on the outside of this universe, mm. outside of all of these dimensions. And that in here, in some way, shape or form, this God has imbued the universe with this divine energy. 
divine energy that streams and vibrates every single string, which creates string theory and creates every single atom and everything that we have, this illusory of reality in this third dimension. And I truly believe that this entire universe and maybe even the multiverse is a gigantic matrix. We're talking about a holographic matrix of light and we're living in a created universe based on real science. We know it's a creation. The method of the creation now has also been proven that we're living in a light matrix. It's a fractal holographic matrix. This is scientifically peer-reviewed, now real science. And I don't believe that we're living in base reality. I believe that there's many levels to reality as well. And this could be just one universe of Googles of universes that exist that are created by different entities. And I believe that they're all in some way, shape, or form experiments. And what is the ultimate experiment of this particular universe? Well, because we know it's a fractal, we have to go from the large to the small and analyze what we can see on the smaller scale that represents the universe. That would be our brain. Our brain is encased in darkness. It doesn't know what's really going on out here, but it has sensory perception, smell, touch, hearing, you know, taste and so forth. Senses. It says to the sensory friends, hey, go out there and, and grab me some data so I can analyze it and figure out what's going on. So the friends go out and do everything, get this data. Now, the friends themselves, they don't know what they're collecting. They can't break the data down. They can't analyze it. All they can do is collect information and send it back to the brain. The brain takes that data and then sorts it all out and projects a hologram. And we navigate through this matrix based on a holographic projection from data collected by our sensory perception. So you take that to the bigger scale now. You, when we were micro, now let's go macro. The universe as a whole is a mind, right? The universe itself is a mind. And then we, human beings and, 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 and cats and dogs and, and grass and trees and everything else, we're just a sensory perception for this mind. And it's telling us to go out and collect information. So we go out and we collect data. Just by living our natural, normal, everyday life, we're collecting data. And because consciousness is not created in the brain, it's downloaded and uploaded from the mind. We're streaming down information, but we're also sending back data as well. It's a two-way upload-download. And that we're collecting data 24-7 and streaming it back to the source so that the creator, the universe itself, can understand what it's like to live in the third dimension as Billy Carson, as, you know, True Geordie, as whoever. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a way of subjectively living lives through, you know, trillions and Googles of entities throughout the entire universe to collect data. Now, why collect the data? What is the purpose? The purpose is to understand what it's like to live in multiple dimensions. And also, I think the purpose is to find out how long can a system take to correct itself? Because we know that light always outpowers darkness over time. There is a yin and a yang. But there's a cycle when light overpowers it. Then there's a cycle when darkness invades it again. And there's a cycle when light overpowers it again. I believe that the true full experiment is to see how long will it take for these multiple species throughout the entire universe to figure out how to bring heaven to earth, how to become the light and sustain the light and evade or put off the darkness. I think that's the ultimate experiment. That was fantastically put. Um, unbelievable, mate. I, I don't know. <laughs> that one take wonder over here. Wow, well done, mate. And um, and I've seen you. Um, you you've also detailed the 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 idea that we are uploading and downloading, um, and that's even scientific as well. Yeah. 
um, That's right. it's been proven. So, you know, it, it is fascinating when you, when you think of how many times or is mimicking this, whether it be Matrix, Star Wars, uh, Harry Potter, any of these sort of type of movies, it always does come down to the light overpowering the darkness. And, um, it, it's, it's fascinating stuff. And I've got one more question, but yeah, mm-hmm. I really appreciate this, mate. And, uh, my final question is how would you like to be remembered? Well, I would like to be remembered as a pioneer. Um, we're all right now, you, me, everyone else, you know, working like this, doing these podcasts and these shows and making memes and going out and speaking to public and writing books and movies and documentaries. We're all a part of the education process to help bring mankind's memory back, right? Mm-hmm. We're trying to extrapolate as much information as we can from the past, present, and the future and put together an understanding to help raise consciousness on the planet. And I believe that, um, we're planting seeds for trees that are going to grow that we're never going to sit in the shade of these trees. But it's a real uh, comforting fact to know that at some point in the distant future, a lot of the work that I put out now is going to have an impact 15, 20, 30, 100 generations from now when there is a golden age and people are celebrating life and living in uh, war free and peace free and everyone's loving one another, you know, uh, and that uh, in some way, shape or form, I might be slightly remembered as one of the many pioneers that help usher mankind back towards the golden age. It, it definitely feels like when you speak and, and you're talking about uh, people like Thoth, for example, you really feel like you're paying tribute to him and you're really try you care about it. And yeah. you're, you know, there's an emotional connection there to this person of, you know what, I know you've been forgotten about, but I'm actually trying to pay this forward and, and put yeah. people onto it. And it really does come across me. So well done. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. So that was Billy Carson, uh, Forbidden Knowledge. Do check him out. I'll put the links in the description below if you want to go. There's way more to find out. This is literally the tip of the iceberg, uh, the tip of the pyramid. Uh, So do check him out. Um, Big thank you to Billy. Thanks for coming on, mate. Appreciate it. Thank you. It was great. I got to come back and do a part two. (laughs) Oh, mate, if you're ever in London, that's when we, we do part two for sure. Oh yeah, that'll be in uh, 2024. I do two big, uh, two big uh, conferences in London that I run. One in London, and then one in Manchester. So I'll stop in for sure. Amazing! Thank you so much. That yeah. was Billy Carson, the legend. Appreciate. It. <laughs>